Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before cheers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life onto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. All right, now I've got a green light here too. Good morning, everybody. Welcome here for Good Friday service. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> um, I have been uh, telling those of you that are visiting with us, just a special welcome to you as well. We're happy to have you joining us. It's good to have you here on Good Friday. And I've been telling our church family that I've been... Uh, into the summer mode here for a while. I've been watching what's going on. I've seen ducks now. I've seen seagulls. I've seen a gopher. I've seen robins. Um, the geese are back. And I don't care if we're having snow today. I'm, it's still summer mode for me. And so it's good Friday. And excited, it's excited to have you here. Um, leading up to Good Friday this year, we've had a number of funerals here at the church. And um, that's just help me to understand and, and focus on, on death just a little bit more and to contemplate that in regard to what Jesus did for us. It's, it's fitting, as Barry said, that on Good Friday that we would talk about Christ's death on the cross. After all, that's what Good Friday is all about. And the fact is, is that it took Good Friday for the debt of our sin to be paid. 
that he had to give his life in order to satisfy the requirements of sin and the, and the punishment of sin. And so this morning, as we focus on what Christ has done for us again, we're going to do so a little bit differently this year. We're going to look at it from the perspective of the thieves, of the criminals that were on the cross beside Jesus. It's something that we don't often do. We don't often pay a lot of attention to them. But this morning I thought that we could take a look at them and just understand Good Friday through their eyes and see what we can learn from them. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to turn with me in the book of Luke to chapter 23. We're going to read verses 26, 27, and then 32 to 43. So Luke 23, 26, 27, 32 to 43. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. There's one in front of you in the pews if you'd like, or you can just follow along on the screens. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, what they are doing. And they divided up his clothing by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the other criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we come before you and as we turn now to your word and as we look at this account from Luke of the criminals crucified with your son, Father, I just pray that today that it wouldn't be just a holiday for us, that it wouldn't be just another day that we come and sit in church and go through a ritual, but that you would open our eyes today to what you accomplished through Jesus, what you offer us through your Son. And so to that end now, I just commit this time and I pray for your blessing upon it all for Christ's sake. And in his name I pray. Amen. Bill, am I catching on this one now? Not yet? Okay. I thought maybe I heard something kick in. The men that were crucified with Christ on the first Good Friday, are introduced to us by Luke and John as criminals. 
While in Mark and in Matthew, they are introduced to us or referred to as rebels. It's kind of interesting that there's a little bit of a distinction between the way that they're regarded. There have been lots of speculation, or there has been lots of speculation over the years about what they were accused of, the nature of their crimes. Some believe that they were murderers, that they had actually murdered. Some others believe that they were most likely zealots, which is to say political insurrectionists, a group of people that were focused on overthrowing the Roman rule at the time and rebelling against any kind of Roman authority. And so we're not absolutely sure what the nature of their crimes were. But the word translated here in Luke as criminal, in the original Greek, is understood as evildoer. It means evildoer. And by that, we understand that these guys weren't just petty criminals. They weren't just simple thieves or, or what have you. They were significant criminals. They had done something significantly wrong. And so the term evildoer seems to be sufficient to summarize their problems, their, their crimes. Matthew tells us that both of these guys initially joined in mocking Jesus. They joined with the religious leaders at the time, the, the crowd that was gathered around the crucifixion, and they joined in and mocked Christ as they were there on the cross. They cast aspersions on Jesus' identity as the Messiah. They called it into question, and they ridiculed him for having claimed to be the Son of God. They mocked him for having saved others, but now being unable to save himself. But from Luke's account, we find something else. We discover that something changed for one of these criminals. Something transpired as he hung there on the cross, and his perspective changed significantly with regard to who Christ was. Let's pick it up again in verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there, Luke says, hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. All right. Now I feel like I can preach. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. You're awesome. Okay. So as we pick it up here, the second criminal turns to the first criminal or addresses him at least across the hill that they're on. And, and he says, dude, don't you fear God? And we need to understand actually what's going on as he in, engages with this other criminal in this conversation. He's really asking, buddy, don't you fear God's judgment? 
It's not just a question of fearing God. What he's after is a recognition that they're about to face God's judgment. And so he says to this guy, don't you fear God's judgment? Because here's the thing. We're hanging here and we're about to die. This is where this is going. It's not going to take long. There's no getting down from this cross. So what's going to happen next is you and I are going to die and then we're going to have to face God. And not just Him, but His judgment on us. And the thing is, the criminal, second criminal doesn't stop there in his address to the first. He carries it on a step further. He says, not only are we about to die and face God, but while we are hanging here justly, dying for our deeds, rightfully so, Jesus is beside us, between us, dying unjustly because there's nothing wrong in him. He's done nothing wrong. So not only should you be worried, buddy, about dying and facing God in his judgment on account of our own doing, what we've done wrong, now you're heaping on, you're piling on as you're criticizing and mocking, insulting Jesus, the innocent one. I'd love to know for that guy what it was that changed for him as he hung there. What it was that he saw. What it was that convinced him all of a sudden that, oh, wait a second. I was wrong. This Jesus is way different than I first thought. And then having made this point to the first criminal, that second criminal now turns his attention directly to Jesus. And he begins to address him according to his change of heart. Verse 42 says, Then he said, Jesus... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now again, for you and I today, we can read that sentence and we can miss so much. But as we go back to the original language, we start to understand so much more what that statement meant to this criminal. What he was actually communicating in that simple sentence. In some manuscripts, you'll see that instead of Jesus it's, he's referred to, Jesus is referred to as Lord here. Lord. And in Hebrew, the equivalent would have been Yahweh, which was the term for God, Almighty God, the one and only true God, Yahweh. So either way, as we see the second criminal now talking to Jesus and addressing him as Lord, or as addressing him as Yahweh, we understand that he is addressing him as God. He doesn't see him now as just a criminal, fellow criminal. He doesn't regard him as a, an imposter who is trying to present himself as the Messiah, as the Son of God. He now sees him truly as God. When he says, remember me, when he says, remember me, 
In the original language, language, it means graciously be mindful of me. So remember me now with grace, which is to say it's a request for forgiveness. He says to Jesus, as you remember me, I need your grace. Which is to say it was an admission, it was a recognition that he was wrong. That he had done something to sin against God. That he was not in good standing with God. And that he needed Christ's forgiveness. And then what is translated as, when you come into your kingdom. We would better understand that to mean that when you return as king. So when you return as king, this is a reference to the parousia, which is Christ's second coming, if you will, the second coming of Jesus. When they understood that Jesus would return one day to rule and to reign as king at the end of the age. So somewhere in that distant future. So all in all, in this sentence, in this one statement to Jesus, we see that the second criminal recognizes Jesus as God and appeals to him for forgiveness and grace. Then what we find is this. Jesus responds to the criminal with an equally brief but poignant statement. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus heard the second criminal's request. And he grants it. But he doesn't just grant it. He over-delivers. He gives that second criminal more than he had actually asked for. Because he says to him, Hey, buddy. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Not someday. Not one day. But today, you will be with me in paradise. Which is a fantastic statement, all in and of itself, telling us about how Christ views what he accomplished, our salvation, eschatology, and so on. We don't have time to go into all of that today. But even in that, he revolutionized our understanding of what it meant to place our faith in him and what it meant to be saved by him. Because as we place our faith in him, it begins now. It's not just one day that he'll remember us. But it begins today. As we read Luke's account 
of the crucifixion, I can't help but suspect that he is begging of his readers a question. His readers then and us today as well. Who am I in all of this? Luke wants us to ask, who am I in all of this? I wasn't able to establish who this is attributed to, but someone smarter than me summed it all up this way. He said, at the crucifixion, three men died. One died with sin in him and the, and the consequence of his sin on him. One died with his sin in him, but no consequence of his sin on him. And one died with the consequence of sin on him, but no sin in him. This morning, we know that we aren't the one with no sin in us. As we look at our lives, we recognize that we've messed up, that we've done things wrong. We recognize that we're sinners, that we're not perfect. So the question becomes, which are the which of the other men are you? The first criminal or the second? In relation to God and his standard, we are all criminals. We have all sinned. In the Greek, we are all evil doers. Sometimes we like to think that we're petty criminals that what we've done isn't really that bad. And that somehow we can make reparations for that on our own. So that as we face death, that we don't have to worry about God's judgment, that somehow we're going to be counted as good enough. But the second criminal tells us that that's not the case. He tells us that we are doomed to die justly for our sin. And that our sin is significant. That it's not something that we can just atone for on our own. That somehow that we can debate or argue or manipulate our way through one day as we face God. And so at that point, the question becomes again, are we the first man or are we the second man? Are we facing death today with sin on us, in us and the consequence of sin on us as well? Or are we facing our deaths with sin in us but the consequence having been erased by our faith in Jesus Christ? That sin paid for by virtue of Christ's death and resurrection. That is what Good Friday is all about. 
that decision. The fact that Christ came, lived a perfect life, laid down his life to pay the penalty and the debt of sin so that we would have an opportunity, a choice, so that we would have a decision because up to then we didn't. Now we do. Now we do. We have the opportunity to choose. Are we going to go into this next life on our own? Facing the consequence of our sin? Or are we going to go in with Christ? Trusting in Him to have paid that debt on our behalf. If you haven't made that decision this morning, I just want to encourage you to consider what we're learning from the thieves this morning. And if it would be your desire to make that decision, and you'd need help with that, need talk to someone, have some more questions, then by all means, please talk to me. Talk to one of the other staff. Maybe talk to someone that brought you here today. But get that addressed. For those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, communion is where we stop to celebrate what is accomplished by his death. But not only to celebrate what Christ accomplished by his death, also to remember the cost that it took to accomplish that. That it took nothing less than Jesus Christ coming into our world, living amongst us without sin, so that then he could take his life and give it up for you and I today. I'm going to ask the ushers to come, the servers to come. In a moment, they're going to distribute these elements to us. If you're here this morning, you don't have to be a member of First Baptist Church to take part in communion. There's only a couple of requirements. The first one would be that you have come to that place in your life where you've recognized who Jesus Christ is. Just like the second criminal, that you see him and regard him as God. And that you've come to that place also where you recognize that you need his grace. That you need his forgiveness for your sin, the sin in your life. And that you've trusted him to have paid for that by his death and through his resurrection. The only other requirement then is that scripture tells us that we should be in good standing with one another. Those of us that are all a part of the family of God. That if there's something that we hold against someone, that then we need to get that sorted out that we otherwise live at peace with everyone. So if you've done everything that you can to resolve that, then by all means, then you're free to take part. If you know that there's something that you need to get rectified with someone else, then don't take part in communion until you get that resolved. I'm going to ask the servers to pass these out. You can start to get them ready. Uh, It takes a little bit of a moment. After you have it ready, then I just ask you to wait until everyone's been served, and then we'll partake together after I pray. Father, again this morning, we come to you 
And as we think about Jesus, Lord, we thank you so much for the gift of your Son. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to step out of heaven into our world, to lay down your life on our behalf so that we could have forgiveness of sin, that the penalty could be paid, and that in that then we could have the opportunity of renewed relationship with you and with God the Father through the Holy Spirit. And Father, today I would just ask that as we remember you, that that would cause us to recommit our lives to you. That as we remember your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, that that would inspire us to live more devoted and committed to you day by day and that we would be a better testimony to you and the world around us. And I pray, Father, that anyone that hasn't come to that point yet where they just recognize what you've done, what you accomplished, why you came, that you would open their eyes to that, that they would be able to understand and that they would make that commitment as well. For we ask all of these things now in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. This little wafer represents Christ's body broken for us. This represents his blood shed for us. This he says do in remembrance of him.